0: Well, good morning. My name is Carmen, and I'm one of the staff members here at Daybreak. And as Pastor Rick mentioned just a few moments ago, we are starting a new series today called My Daybreak. And one of the things that I love about our church family here is that Daybreak to me is not just a church, Daybreak is my church, Daybreak is our church. And I love it that each one of us here is an important and a vital part of making Daybreak what it is. Together we are what Daybreak is. We are who Daybreak is. It's not about the facility. It's not about our structures or our programs. It's about the people. And our hope is that each person that, that engages with Daybreak feels that sense of ownership, that they can say, this is my Daybreak. This is my church family. This is my church home. And that sense of ownership makes a difference in our lives, doesn't it? When you assume a sense of ownership for something, it kind of changes your perspective, right? Um, Last weekend, my husband Scott and I attended his 25th high school year reunion, 25-year high school reunion. Did I get that out right? And um, so we went out to Western PA and we enjoyed that. But how that all got started was several months ago, my husband, who is a very big networking kind of guy, was doing what he does best and connecting people. And he was on Facebook deciding that he was going to reconnect all of his classmates. And so he's finding all of these classmates out there and he starts connecting with all of them. And one thing leads to another. And next thing you know, they decide we should do a class reunion because they haven't done one in 20 years. And of course, guess who gets elected to be the guy who puts together the class reunion? And so I'm watching all of this unfold, just kind of observing from a distance. And I'm seeing all this unfold, and I see Scott start to engage in this whole reunion planning thing. And I have to tell you, my husband is talented in many, many ways. If you have an Excel spreadsheet that needs some formulas put into it or manipulated in some way, he is a master at that. If you have data that needs to be analyzed and reconfigured, He is golden at that. He used to work for Rite-Aids, if that tells you anything. He's great at data manipulation. Some of you got that joke. Um, He wasn't a part of that. He wasn't, I promise. Um, And if you have something, like, really big and heavy that you need to have moved, he's great at the brute force thing. But let me tell you, when it comes to event planning, it's not his thing so much. And so I'm watching him struggle through this event planning thing, and I'm just kind of observing all of this unfold, and I realize the man needs some help. And so I said, would you like me to help you be a part of putting this reunion together? And he said, yes, please. Thank you very much. And so we got this reunion together, and it was kind of an interesting transformation that happened for me. As I assumed ownership of this event, I didn't know these people beforehand. This wasn't my class reunion. I didn't know the area all that well, other than the few times I would visited when we were dating. But I didn't know much about it, and yet as I engaged in this process, I moved from just observing to really owning and I wanted this thing to go well and I felt this sense of responsibility and I started to really be invested in making this event the best that it could be and as we went last weekend, it turns out like we had a really good time and I felt like I made some new friends and made connections with people that I never had before because now I was owning it and as a matter of fact, I even got a job offer out of the whole deal Um, so if this thing at Daybreak doesn't work out, I have a job offer to go be an event planner at the Alley Pop. We're in Houtsdale, Pennsylvania, which has always been a lifelong dream of mine to coordinate events for a bar in Western PA. Like, <laughs> what more could a girl want? So, But I, I moved from just observing, and honestly, in the beginning stages, I was observing kind of with a critical eye. How's that going to work out? How's he going to manage that? What are these people doing? To ownership. I want this to be the best that it can be. I'm going to do everything that I can do to make this a successful event for him. And in a similar way, that's what we're hoping for our Daybreak family, that you're able to say, this is my family. I'm going to invest in this church family. I want to be a part of making it the best that it can be and that you don't step back and say, well, that's just what they do at that church over there once you've decided to be a part of our family, that you don't just step back and observe from a distance kind of with the critical eye of what they do, but instead step in and be a part of making a difference, be a part of our church family and actually have that sense of ownership because each and every one of us is an important part, a vital part, an essential part of making daybreak exactly what it is. There's a verse in Ephesians 4.16, and if you haven't pulled your outlines out of your program guides, you can do that now, and the verse is printed in there if you'd like to follow along that way. And it says this in Ephesians 4.16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. The whole body, the church, his church family, the body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, as each part has its own unique contribution to make to this family, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. God designed us to work together to have this sense of ownership where we all have a part to play, a way to contribute. So that what? So that the whole body is healthy and growing, and full of love, so that we can love one another, that we can love God together, and be healthy, and growing together. And that healthy part is what we're going to kind of hone in on today. We're talking about Daybreak as my hospital, my healing place, a place where I can go and find healing and extend a hand of healing to other people as well. But I want to be clear as we get going today that a church's primary function is not necessarily just to be a hospital. A church isn't designed just to be a triage unit and that alone. A church is designed to be God's family, living in community, carrying out God's mission to the world. That's what a church is designed to be. But if we're going to be a healthy community, we need a hospital. We need a place where people can go and find healing and get well because every community needs a healing place. Why? Because things happen, right? Accidents happen, tragedies happen, things just start to fall apart after a while and disintegrate and break down and you need a place to go where you can find healing and get restored and be made well again. Every healthy community needs it. Imagine an army that didn't have a medic unit. Imagine what that would look like if the wounded were just left behind, left by the side of the road, we're marching on, doesn't matter what happened to you. Imagine if you're in the army and you're wounded and you refuse to ask for help or go to the medic unit and you're trying to keep up and you can't. No, every healthy community needs to have a medic unit. We need to have a place where we can go where we're not afraid to say, you know what? I need assistance. I need to get some healing. And we need a place where all of us can be a part of saying, okay, let me help you along. And then you can join the ranks again when you're well and healthy. We're not going to leave you behind. No man left behind, right? Semper Fi, is that what it is? I have a couple of nephews that are in the Marines, Semper Fi. That's what the family is about, and that's why we need a hospital. We need daybreak to be our hospital. And that's what we're diving into today. Last year, if you were here last fall, we did a whole series, a whole campaign on emotionally healthy spirituality. And so today we're gonna revisit just a few of those concepts that we talked about last fall, um, hopefully in a fresh way for you, um, to kind of renew what it means in our hearts to really understand and embrace and own daybreak as my hospital. So let's take a look. I engage in the healing process as I, number one, know my family's imprint. Part of engaging in the healing process is knowing the imprint that my family has made on me. Now, no matter what kind of family you grow up in, the reality is that it has left a mark on you, good, bad, or ugly, There is a mark that is left on you because of your family of origin. And maybe you grew up in a single-parent home. Maybe you grew up in a two-parent home. Maybe you grew up with a grandmother or an aunt or an uncle. Maybe you grew up in the foster care system or maybe in a group home or a hundred other configurations of what constitutes a, a family unit. Whatever that experience was for you, it left a mark on you. In some form or another, it has made an impression on your soul. And sometimes we try to deny that the, the environment that we grew up in or our life experiences that we've had along the way, we try to deny that it has any impact on us today. We do that whole, like, yeah, well, that happened, but that didn't really, that didn't really make a difference for me. That didn't really make a mark on me. But the truth is that that's just plain old denial. All of us have been impacted and influenced by the families that we grew up in. Our life experiences make a difference. Just a silly example for you, but all of our life experiences have some sort of consequence in, in reality for us. I know that I've had to watch the kind of shows that I watch on TV. I've kind of had to put a check on some of those. Because I used to enjoy every once in a while watching the show Criminal Minds. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that. But it's a very dark show, really, about um, serial killers. And they try to get this team profiles and tries to catch these serial killers. And I would watch that show and I would think, this doesn't affect me. I know that this is not real. Like, I know that this is just TV production. There's nothing real to this. This is clearly not affecting me. But guess what happens when I work late here at Daybreak and the building is empty and it's just me in here? (laughs) And I'm in this big, creepy building, and then I go out in that bigger, creepier parking lot? (laughs) What am I doing? I'm looking for the serial killers that are trolling Mechanicsburg, waiting in the bushes at Daybreak Church. That's what I'm doing. Why? Because what my life experience has made an impact on me. And as much as I deny that I can watch those shows and that doesn't have any impact on me, the truth is that it does. Sooner or later, it comes out. And I know that's a silly example, but in a similar way, our life experience, our family experience makes an impact on us. And to deny that that happens to us is really kind of silly because sooner or later, the impact of our family experience comes out in one form or another. And some of those wounds that need to be healed, if they never get healed, will come out in various ways. Sometimes they come out in the form of anger or short-temperedness, or sometimes they come out in the form of apathy or just passive behavior, sometimes as depression, sometimes as, as um, maybe codependency or addictive behaviors. There's all kinds of ways that these things can come out in us if we've never addressed them, if we've never understood that, you know what, my family has left an impression on me. Because like I said, no matter how good or bad your family was, every family has some junk in it. There are, there are ways that all of us have been influenced. And I grew up in a relatively normal, by whatever that means, standard. Um, I grew up in a relatively normal home. It was a good family, and yet I know that I carry junk from my family of origin. There's things that, that made an impression on me that I needed to find healing from because of that. In my family, I think I've shared with you before that I grew up in a Mennonite home. And my parents were raised as farm kids. Both of them, my grandparents were farmers on both sides of the family. And so my parents were raised on a farm. And in their particular culture, both of their families, kids were had in a family. Kids were born into a family, not because my grandparents necessarily wanted to create a family unit, but because they needed work. Workers for their farm. The children were farmhands. And so there wasn't a lot of love expressed in my parents' generation. And so when my parents got together and formed a family, it wasn't that we weren't loved. I believe that they felt love for us, but they had no idea how to express that. My parents had no idea how to express or communicate their feelings of love for someone. It was just too awkward. I was joking in the green room before the service that I think I told my dad I loved him once and he couldn't look me in the eye for the next year, you know? Like, because it was just too awkward. It wasn't something that was done in my family. And so the way that I learned to compensate for that was that I wanted to know that I was loved. And so I presumed that if I behaved well and earned their approval, then I would be loved. So if I was feeling their approval from my behavior and behaving well and jumping through the right hoops, then I presumed that that's what earned me love, which is not a really good pattern to live by. And as I grew into my teenage years, that became a really destructive pattern for me because guess what I did? I applied that to my peer group. Well, if I earn the approval of my peer group, then I'm going to know that I'm accepted and I'm valuable and I'm loved there. So I'll do whatever it takes to fit into that group to earn their approval so that I feel valued and loved. And let me tell you, I made a lot of really destructive choices. I made a lot of really bad choices that I wish so much now I could go back and do them differently. But the truth is, that's what it was. And that, that uh, desire inside of me to earn the approval even continues today sometimes. I have to fight against that because I realize that even sometimes today I do that same dynamic with God that I say, God, I need to earn your approval somehow. I'm going to know that I'm loved if I feel like I've done enough to, to be worthy of your love. Instead of just understanding that God's love for me is unconditional, that God wants to express his love for me, sometimes I still have to go back and keep resetting my mind to the truth of God doesn't work that way. It's not about earning my way into God's good graces. It's about just accepting God's unconditional love for me. But it's been a journey For me. And I know some of you are looking at me saying, Yeah, she's a little messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. And the truth is, all of us are in some way or another. All of us have stuff that we carry from our family of origin, from life experiences that have happened to us that make a mark on our soul. And we need to find healing from that. There's a great book called Healing Your Family Tree. It's by Beverly Hubble Toke. And I'm sorry that we don't have copies in the Resource Center. I wanted to get some more for today for anyone who might want to purchase a copy. And they're out of print now. You can get used copies on Amazon if you're interested. Um, But it's a great book about just diving through some of the stuff that has caused our families to get out of whack in the first place and how we can find healing and change that pattern moving forward. And in this book she describes four steps that we can take to become what she calls a redemptive generation, the generation that's going to make a difference, the generation that's going to affect change so that those same patterns don't have to keep continuing generation after generation. And these are the four steps that are in your outline there this morning that she um, outlines to become a redemptive generation. And the first one is to face family realities. To face family realities. To find healing, the first step is to really be honest about what is in my past. And it's kind of like cleaning out a closet. You look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. You clean out a closet that you haven't been in for a while, and what happens? You find some treasures that you're like, wow, I completely forgot that I had that. That is awesome. I love that. I should pull that out and use that some more. And then you find other stuff that you're like, oh, kind of forgot that was in there. That is just trash. Why are we still hanging on to that? We need to get rid of that. And that's what, in this step of facing family realities, you need to do. Go back and look honestly and openly and authentically at your family history. What was the good? What was the bad? What was the ugly? What's the reality of what's there? And then second of all, you need to mourn the losses. You need to mourn the losses. There are things that you're going to look back and say, I wish it would have been different. I wish that things wouldn't have been the way that they were. And you have to go back and grieve the loss of what you wish would have been. The reality is we can't go back and change the past, right? None of us can go back in time and redo something that was done or undo something that had been done. So sometimes we need to look at that and say, you know, I wish it would have been different. And I need to work through the grieving process of, of mourning the loss of what maybe should have been or could have been in order to move forward. I know my husband had to do this. He had a, a really rocky relationship with his dad. And finally, as an adult, he decided, you know what? I need to grieve the loss. There are lots of things he wished his dad would have been. There are lots of things his dad could have been and wasn't. And Scott had to go back, and he had to say, you know what? I'm going to grieve the loss of that. I'm going to grieve the loss of what could have been or should have been in order for me to move forward. And now he can move forward. Now that he's grieved that loss, he can move forward in a new way in his relationship with his dad instead of still hanging on to these pieces of disappointment and loss and grief that never would have been worked through otherwise. So we face family realities, we mourn the loss, and we examine the consequences. We examine the consequences of what are the ongoing Fallout? What's the ongoing fallout of the destructive patterns that have happened in my family? What are the consequences that happened in my generation? What are the consequences for the people around me? What are the consequences for the next generation if someone doesn't step up and change? What are the consequences of hanging on to this stuff, this junk from the closet that should be thrown away? If I hang on to that, what are the consequences of that? And how did it affect me? And then finally, take charge and change. Take charge and change. If you want a new path, make a new path. Find the healing that you need to forge a new path. You can be the redemptive generation. You can be the one who stands up and say, says, it stops with me. I am not going to keep replicating this habit, this pattern in my family that's gone on for generations. I'm not going to let that continue to have its power over me. I'm going to do the work of healing of getting the help that I need in order to move beyond this, to grieve it and to find help and healing to move beyond it. I need to take responsibility for my choices and for my habits that have over time become my character development. I need to take responsibility for that. And I believe that we, we have a choice to pay now or pay later. One way or another, we're going to pay. And we pay now by taking responsibility and doing the tough changes to the only one person that you can control – and that's yourself. You can't change anyone else. You can only control yourself. And you can step up and you can be the one to say, I'm going to make changes in myself so that this pattern doesn't have to continue. Because if we don't pay now and make those tough choices now and go through that hard work now, what's going to happen? We're going to pay later. And those patterns will continue. And those unhealthy, dysfunctional habits that we get into will continue to the next Generation, And I don't know about you, but I don't want that for my kids. I don't want my future generations that come after me to still deal with that same pain recycled generation after generation. We have a choice to be a redemptive generation by finding healing through God's healing power. And I believe that with all my heart. Our God is a healing God. He can take the places that are broken and make them whole again. Psalm 147 says this, he heals the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds. And one of the things that I think is so beautiful about this verse from Psalm 147 is that if you look at the whole context of Psalm 147, it's actually written to the nation of Israel when they're in exile. The nation of Israel was an extended family. It was Abraham's descendants. So essentially, this was a family, and the nation of Israel had been exiled. They'd been scattered because of dysfunction. They had been scattered around. Their family had been broken. Their family had been abused. Their family had been, had been torn apart and broken apart. And in Psalm 147, the psalm is about God bringing them back to their home. They're rebuilding Jerusalem. The exiles are being called home, and not all of them choose to come. Some of them choose to stay in exile, but those that choose to come, God calls them back, And he's saying, I'm healing the brokenhearted, and I'm binding up their wounds. I think that's a beautiful picture for our families today, that God's saying, I want to do the same thing in your family, and there will be some that choose not to come. You can't control that, but there will be some that choose to come. You can choose to come and find healing for the brokenhearted. You can choose to come and allow God to bind up your wounds and bring home, come home again to that place of health and healing. I know that God wants to do the same in our families. We have a story to share with you today, a story from someone who has stepped up and had the courage to be a redemptive generation, to allow God into the really broken parts and to allow him to begin to change so that patterns that she experienced won't continue to happen generation after generation. It's taken her a lot of courage to share her story and um, I know that you're going to be inspired by Ginny's story today, so let's take a look.
1: I was born to two alcoholic parents, and after two years of abuse and neglect, my siblings and I, were, we, were, we were placed in foster care where we endured more abuse and neglect. We were taught from a very early age that we were not wanted or loved, and that we are all a mistake to have ever been born. By the time I was three and a half, I had been placed in five different foster homes. Each one worse than the last. All of us kids were separated and would never lived together as a family. The majority of my childhood was spent in one foster home where my foster mother made sure to remind me on a daily basis that I was a horrible child and that all my family's problems were my fault. She told me that no one would ever want me or love me. She said that I was just a waste of space and that when I grew up, I would be just like my parents, drinking and live on the streets, a bum. Growing up in foster care, you have to attend church. I loved going because at least I felt a little safe there. My Sunday school teachers made me feel special and told me stories about how if you just asked God for forgiveness, everything would be all right. But after I went home from church, Sundays always ended up being the worst days of abuse because it was the longest that my foster father was home. And it would make my foster mother even madder at me because he gave me so much special attention. I learned at a very young age not to feel, not to trust, and especially that I was not loved. God couldn't love someone like me. I stopped feeling anything. By my late teens, I had endured 17 different abusers, both male and female who abused me in every way imaginable. Even my own parents loved their booze more than me and chose that lifestyle over trying to get me back home or even trying to come visit me. I would cry myself to sleep almost every night, wishing it wouldn't hurt so much. After a while, I just stopped feeling anything but an empty, dark hole in my heart. I did end up moving back home with my father and stepmother at age 14, only to have gone from the frying pan into the fire. It was very clear that I was wanted only to take care of the house and to watch the grandkids so that the adults could go out drinking almost every night. I got a job at a restaurant but all my pay went to my dad so that he could use it to help him party. I weighed only 75 pounds at the time because I would get in trouble for eating their food. I was emotionally dead inside. I finally decided that if people were going to take from me I would at least get to be the one who, to decide who what, and when they were going to take it. I used guys so that I could get fed and so that I wouldn't have to walk home from my shifts at the restaurant in the middle of the night. One night, my dad and I had a huge fight, and I decided I would leave. I went to work that night and called Craig, a man I had met at the restaurant, and told him what had happened. I never went home again. I ended up in the hospital because I had a physical and mental breakdown, and then I moved in with Craig. Craig, who is now my husband, saved my life. We have been together for 25 years now, and he has endured a lot because of all I had to work through. But I know God brought him into my life to help me get to where I am today. After Craig and I had been together for two years, we decided to have a baby. When she was born, I became very unstable emotionally because that's when all that had been done to me as a child hit me. I tried suicide three times over the next couple years. Thankfully, God sent two very special counselors into my life, one of who became like, him, like the mother I never had. I started to open my heart again after it had been closed for so long. She suggested that I start going to church again. So Craig and I started attending church. After a few bad experiences at other churches, a co-worker mentioned that Daybreak was a church that wanted you to get involved and take classes and be part of a family. I thought it sounded great, so my daughter Maria and I went to the next Sunday. When we first stepped into the Daybreak's doors, Pastor Ron almost ran to greet us and shook our hands. His huge smile melted our hearts. We met a few other people who were just as friendly as Pastor Ron. I knew I was finally home. I knew this is what we were looking for. We have been coming to Daybreak for 10 years now, and I have really grown. We were so excited to be part of church that we began serving with open hearts in a bunch of different ways. I still had a lot of work to do in my healing, but step by step, through Bible studies and encounters with Jesus at Daybreak, I have learned to put my pain on the cross. At the Good Friday experience five years ago, I nailed my pain to the cross, where there was once a hole in my heart so deep, I thought it would never heal. Now there is peace. My dad finally walked away from booze six years ago now and has been attending Daybreak. I am able to be around him now without feeling the anger and hate that I carried for so long. I can see how God is using my experiences to help others too. I have been involved as a mentor in the FWL mentoring program. I was paired up with a lady who was having the same debilitating anxiety attacks I lived with so long and I was able to encourage her. I am still a work in progress. I still get depressed at times and still battle the physical effects of what was done to me but I know where my home is now. I know that God loves me and has always loved me. Every day I know I have a place at His table, and I always have. On bad days when I feel I can't handle it anymore, I just close my eyes and feel the hands of the Daybreak prayer team lifting me up so I can reach the hands of my loving Father. Thank you Daybreak for helping me on my journey and for helping me find the truth so that now I can help those who are going through the same things I did. I know now that I was not a mistake, and I am cherished and valued by my true father.
0: Jenny, yours is a beautiful story <laughs> because it's a story of God's redemption through you. It takes a lot of courage <laughs> to share a story like that. It takes a lot of courage to do the work that it takes to be a redemptive generation, to face all of those hurts, to face all of that brokenness, and say, God, come in and make it whole again. You've been a redemptive generation, Jenny. All of us have the choice to be a redemptive generation, to understand what has impacted us, what has distorted us and kind of thrown us out of line, (laughs) and to say, you know what? We're not going to keep going down this path anymore. We're going to choose a new way. I'm going to choose healing. And oftentimes, you're going to need some help to do that. And that's why Daybreak has a hospital wing. (laughs) That's why we offer resources to you to say, you know what, come and find healing. Meet with God. Find healing for the things that are broken. And we do have resources to offer you. We have counselors that are available here at Daybreak. You can schedule appointments right through the Daybreak office, and counselors can meet with you throughout the week. We have recovery groups for grief and divorce, and we're starting a new marriage recovery initiative um, this fall as well for marriages that have been broken and torn apart. We have the Wellspring Prayer Center where you can go and and meet with coaches who just kind of guide you through a conversation with God so that he can speak truth and healing into those places that are broken. This is your hospital. This is your place to come when life hurts and you need healing and you realize something needs to change. We can't keep going the way that we've been going through my family, through my life experience. It just can't continue to go where it's going. Ask for help. There is no shame or embarrassment in asking for help. How many of you have ever been admitted to a hospital or an ER for any reason? How many of you? Raise your hand. Almost every adult in this room at some point or another has needed care physically. Said, you know what? I can't heal myself. <laughs> if we need it physically, you know what? We need it emotionally too. There is no shame in saying, I need help to get healing. All of us need it. As a matter of fact, I think every member of our Daybreak staff has has at one season or another seen the counselors here at Daybreak. Why? Because it's a smart thing to do. Get help when you need help to find that healing that God so much wants to do in your life. You don't have to suck it up and do it on your own. There's no embarrassment in asking for help and reaching out. That's why we're here. This is why Daybreak is my Daybreak and my hospital. We need to engage in that healing process. Know your family's imprint. And secondly, engage in the healing process as you know your father's image. I engage in the healing process as I know my father's image, which is your next blank there in your program guide if you're playing along at home there. It says in John 8.32, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And you know what the truth is the truth is a person and his name is jesus christ the truth is god became flesh and dwelled among us so that we could be restored to a relationship with him we will know the truth we will know our god and our god will set us free it's been his plan from the beginning of time to take the broken places inside of us and bring us to a place of freedom and healing, and restoration, and redemption. We'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. But here's where it gets a little tricky for us sometimes. Sometimes we have a distorted idea of what the truth really is, because things have influenced our minds, things have influenced our life, and what we consider to be the norm, we presume to be the truth. I mentioned before that I grew up in a Mennonite family, and I had some things that I just presumed were the norm for people that were just a true regular experience that everyone had until I got to college and realized otherwise. And one of those was apple pie with milk. In my house... Apple pie was not served on a plate. Apple pie was served in a bowl with cream poured all over top of it, okay? So you had this warm apple pie. Warm, has to be warm, cannot be cold. Apple pie should never be cold. It needs to be warm in a bowl with milk poured on top of it, and that was dinner. That was the main course. I honestly did not know until I got to college that that was abnormal to have apple pie in a bowl with milk as dinner. I couldn't understand why the college cafeteria never served it because this was dinner, and my friends were like, But apple pie is a dessert. It goes on a plate. You eat it after. I'm like, no, that's not how you eat apple pie. There are things that had informed my life experience that I just always presumed that this is normal. This is what the truth is. This is how life exists. And I know that's kind of a silly, stupid example, but I think the truth is that we do the same thing in our perspective of God. We have these life experiences that impact us and kind of inform what we believe to be true even if it's not really the true perspective. We get these, these worldviews or these paradigms that we operate off of, and we presume, well, since this is the way that it's always been, this must be the way that it's true. And God says sometimes, no. Your truth is a little distorted. You need to know who I am. Really and truly, we need to know our Father's image. We need to understand who he is, not just who we think that he is. We need to get to know him for the true God. That he is. We can't settle for counterfeits on this one. It's way too important. And did you know that when they train people to identify counterfeit money, they don't train them by um, showing them, teaching them a thousand ways that the bill could be altered. They don't teach them to look for the flaws. Instead, when they're training people to identify counterfeit money, they have them study the real thing. They have them study the real thing over and over again. They have them study what to look for in that. When it's the real and genuine article, they study how it feels. They study what it smells like, what it's supposed to look like. And then that way, when a counterfeit comes along, they can spot it in a heartbeat. Why? Because they know what the real thing is supposed to be. They may not when they encounter a counter. Then when they encounter a counterfeit, wow, that's a lot of counters in one sentence. But when they encounter a counterfeit, they may not immediately be able to discern like what is wrong with it. But they just know something feels off. Something's not right. It just doesn't seem right to me. And in the same basic idea, in the same basic way, it applies here to our relationship with God as well. We can't know who God is by studying things that are untrue. Instead, go back to God study who he is, get into his words, spend time with him, build a relationship with him, pray to him step by step. Gradually, it's not going to happen overnight, but gradually you're going to learn more and more what the truth is. And then when the falsities come along, the lies that want to distort our thinking and the way that we interact with other people in unhealthy ways, we'll be able to more quickly identify them to say, you know what, that's a counterfeit. That's not true. Maybe I can't put my finger on exactly why that doesn't feel right, But I can discern in my spirit that something is off about that. Why? Because I've gotten to know the truth. I've gotten to know what my Father's image is really and truly. And understand that this will be a lifelong process. None of us have figured it all out. None of us come from a place of absolute perfection. But the more that we engage with God, the more that we know what His image is supposed to be, the more quickly we'll be able to identify the lies and and guide our lives in a way that's good and healthy for us. Instead of repeating time after time these false beliefs that lead us down a really bad path, then we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. That's where healing comes from, by knowing the truth, and it's the truth that sets us free. And I wanna give you a moment this morning just to soak in some of God's truth. We have another little video clip to show you this morning that is just chock full of scriptural truths about who God is, how he views us, and what our purpose is in this life. So let's soak in a little bit of truth this morning through God's photo book.
2: I have searched you and I know you. You're an open book to me, even from a distance. I know what you're thinking I know when you leave and when you get back you're never out of my sight I know everything you're going to say before you start the first sentence you look behind you and I'm there then up ahead and I'm there too is there any place you can go to avoid my spirit to be out of my sight If you climb to the sky, I'm there. If you go underground, I'm there. If you flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. I'm already there, waiting. I even see you in the dark. At night, you're immersed in the light. Darkness isn't dark to me. Night and day, darkness and light. They're all the same to me. I created your inmost, knit you together in your mother's womb. You are breathtaking, body and soul. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your frame was not hidden from me. What a creation. I know you, inside and out. I know every bone in your body. I know exactly how you were made, bit by bit. How I sculpted you from nothing into something, like an open book. I watched you grow from conception to birth. All the stages of your life are spread out before me. The days of your life all prepared before you'd even taken that first breath. not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. My word is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. You're here to be light, bringing out my colors in the world. I'm not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, a city on a hill. You wouldn't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. You put it out on a stand so it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, shine. Keep open, house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people. To open to me, I'm calling you to what's next. Come and see. So you can go and be a light in the darkness. Can you picture it?
0: I love all the truth that that video portrays. And I love the truth that God says we are a light in the darkness. We are made in the image. Of God, and as doing in doing so, as we're made in the image of God, we reflect who He is to the world around us. And the more that we know and understand the image of our Father, the more we're able to reflect that light to the people around us. The more we're able to be a reflection of hope to the people around us. This is the truth of who God says that we are. We're made to know His image and to reflect His image to the world around us, and the same applies to his healing. We know that we are made in the image of God, and the healing flows from his throne to us and then out from us to the people around us. We're not the source of light. We're not the source of healing, but we can reflect God's healing to the people around us. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you hear that again? We're, we're receiving healing from God so that we can reflect it then out to the people around us. And to me, this is one of the most beautiful things about being a part of a church family is that we get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. We get to be a reflection of his light, not only to the other people in our family, but into our community and into our world as well. What an amazing privilege we have To be able to reflect that kind of light, that kind of hope, that kind of power. Doesn't it make you proud to be part of a church family? Doesn't it make you proud? (laughs) Yes, thank you. (laughs) It does. This is who God made us to be, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to see it in action. We are the recipients of that compassion, and then we pass it on, and it happens here, I'm proud to say, at daybreak all the time. There are people who have, are healing from eating disorders who are now reaching out a hand to someone else who is struggling in the midst of it saying, come along, I'm not perfect yet, but I, I know the source of healing, come along, let me, let me help you along on that. There are people that have experienced grief and loss and found healing and they're saying now I want to lead a group of other people who are experiencing loss too because I know what it feels like to be there. And so the compassion and the healing that I received, I'm now passing along to someone else. It happens in the form of our FWO mentoring program where women that are finding healing from whatever it is in life are saying, you know what, I'm going to reach back and I'm going to help someone else who's just a step or two behind me. I'm going to pull them along with me. I'm going to be a reflection of God's light to the people around me. There are men who have been addicted to pornography and have found freedom from that. And they're saying, you know what, come along with me, from other men who are, who are in the midst of that, saying, come on, we can do this. You can find healing in my God. There's ways after ways after ways that it happens in our church family. Even something as simple as people have received a meal, when they had a difficult season in their life and now they're saying, you know what? I wanna give a meal back to someone else. It is a beautiful thing to see it in action as part of a church family because God means for us to be a conduit of his healing. God longs for us to be restored and renewed and made whole again and he longs for us to be able to have those places that were broken be redeemed so that you can use that for something good and beautiful so that our brokenness doesn't have to be broken all of our life, but that it can be something that's used for a good purpose. This is who we are meant to be. This is the purpose of having a church family together. This is the purpose of a God who restores and redeems and renews. It's a beautiful thing because then we can pass it on to the people around us. This is what the church family is, my friends, (laughs) and there are ways that you can be a part of it. This is your hospital. And if you found any level of healing, we want you to be a part of helping someone else along. And here at Daybreak, our hospital wing is called our care ministries here. And our care ministries are spearheaded by three women who serve on staff. That's Jolene on the left, that's Robin in the middle, and Laura on the right-hand side there. And these three ladies lead the charge. Do they provide all the care for Daybreak? Absolutely not. They just lead the charge. You, as the body of Christ, as your daybreak, as your church family, you are the ones who provide that hand out to people. But there are tons of ways that you can be a part of that. I'd love for everyone to reach into your program guide and pull out this pale yellow insert that's in there right now. Please go ahead and do that. Because the care ministries. Seek to do exactly what the 2 Corinthians 1 verse says. They seek to be a place where those that have received comfort from God can in turn comfort others. On the top of that sheet right there, you can see their mission statement, which is facilitating a healthy environment where people receive care, experience healing and growth, and then give back to others in need. It's that simple. And there are a ton of ways on there that you can be a part of that healing process. And I'd love for you right now to look down through that list. I'm not going to read them all. They're pretty self-explanatory. But just consider where God may be saying, you know what? It's time for you to give back. It's time for you to take some ownership of this hospital wing and be a part of reflecting who I am to people around you in a simple way. So if that's something that you are willing to be a part of, I'd love for you to check off whatever box may may be good for you. And then fill out your name and information at the bottom. And after the service, just drop it in the offering boxes on your way out the door today. And one of those three ladies who used to be up on the screen will be in touch with you um, with some more information about how you can be involved. If you have any questions, they'll answer any of those questions for you. But we want you to be a part. And I know some people sit there and they look at a list like this and they exclude themselves immediately because they say, well, I don't have it all together yet. I can't reach back and help someone else until I feel like I I have my life together a little bit more. And maybe you're in a place where you do need, you're in a season where you need healing, but if you have experienced any healing at all, please don't exclude yourself because you don't have your life all together. Perfect people need not apply. And as a matter of fact, if you think that your life is perfect and all together, I have a counselor that I'd like for you to see this week, okay? None of us have it all together. We just need to be a step or two ahead of someone behind us to help reach out a hand and pull them along. As a matter of fact, it's the broken places in your life that I think are sometimes the most beautiful. It's your scars that are the most beautiful. Why? Because your scars are the evidence of God's healing in your life. To say that once there was a wound there, and now it's been healed, and it's even stronger now than it was before. Your scars are beautiful because they're evidence of God's grace and mercy. And every time you see that scar, you're reminded of what God has done for you, where he's taken this thing that's been broken and ugly and a mess, and he's bound it back together again. Your scars are beautiful for what they remind you of, but you know what your scars are also beautiful for? That other people can look at you and see your scars and say, wow, that gives me hope that this big gaping wound in my life doesn't have to stay there. I understand that you are someone who knows what it's like to be there because I see your scars. And I know that you can be a part of helping me as well because you get it. You've been there too. Your scars are a beautiful thing because they're evidence of God taking what was broken and making it new again, making it whole again, bringing it back together again. That's what it means to be a hospital as a church family, to allow God to heal those broken places and extend a hand out to those around us. Never be ashamed of your scars. Let God use them for something beautiful. Will you pray with me? Father God, we praise you because you are a God of healing. You are a God who makes things whole and new again. And I thank you, God, for the way that you can take even the most broken places, the things that maybe we thought were beyond hope or beyond cure, and even in those places, you can put them back together again in a way that's beautiful. I pray that you would use this church, Daybreak Church, our church, my church, to be a healing place, a place where we can be your hands and your feet to people in need. And God, I pray that we would be humble enough to ask for help when we need it, to not be so strong and independent that we deny our need for you and the people around us, the body of Christ to surround us, but that we'd be willing to, to ask for help when we need it. And God, I pray that we would be courageous enough to allow you to use our scars to help someone else along. Heal the wounds, God. Heal the wounds in our lives. But God, we ask that you leave the scars and I pray that those scars would always be evidence of your healing grace in our lives. Thank you, God, for being a healer. Thank you for the way that you bind the wounds of the brokenhearted. I pray that this church family would be your hospital. We love you, God. Amen.
3: I used to wish that I- Just a dream that each mistake could be
4: prayer. Heal the wound, but leave the scar. Uh, about a month ago, I had a collision with the bottom of a pool ladder, and uh, I was coming up. I thought I was coming up at another place in the pool, but I came up right under the ladder, and my forehead had a high-speed impact. And, and I only say that because I was thinking about it all morning this morning. As um, you may have noticed, the last few weeks when I was up here, there was this big, like, J-hooked wound on my forehead, and I tried to cover it up, but I realized that the more I tried to wrap my head in a bandage or cover it up, it just became even more distracting. So I watched all of you watch me, and then many of you would come up afterwards just trying to see if I took a big marker to my forehead or what that was, but um, it was it just brought this thing to my mind that so much of the time we have a big wound in our lives, and, and Sometimes we try to cover it up, sometimes we don't, and people all around us know. (laughs) Everybody sees it, they know we're hurting, but it's different than a physical wound because when we have a physical wound, people are just like, you need to go to the doctor, you need to go get help. But sometimes when we have an emotional wound, people don't know how to point us in the right direction. They don't know how to help us, and we don't know how to get help ourselves. And so this morning, if you're part of that group of people that just today it became very clear, I'm hurting right now, like I need to get some help. I've got an open wound, and it's just painful. And maybe you realize, hey, this is something that has been passed down through my family, and and it's been there for a while. And I, res- the way I respond to it, it's not good for me or for the people around me, and it's just killing me. And if that's you today, and you need to get some help, I want to encourage you to take today and say, okay, just maybe you just want to write on your response card. I don't even know what kind of help I need, but I want to reach out to my church family and just ask, would you help me begin a healing process for this wound that's in my life? Just write it down today. Probably a couple times this week, I had to remind people what what Carmen reminded you this morning, that people come in and they meet with you and they're embarrassed about something, and I just said, look, I said, the staff are all first in line for counseling. (laughs) There's no shame in that. It's a good thing. It's good to get some help. It's, it's okay to be honest about that. If that's you today, just, I just want to write it on your card. I'm hurting right now. I need somebody to help guide me through a healing process. I don't even know what step to take. I just know that I need to heal. Go ahead and write that on your card today. Or maybe today uh, it just hit you that, you know what, I'm not all the way there, but I could certainly reach back and help somebody else take a step forward. I could certainly extend a hand backwards and help bring someone along. Because I'm not totally healed, but I know what it means to trust God. I've been through the healing process or I'm in the healing process because I know the healer. I know the one who heals me, and I know that he can heal others too. If that's you today, and you say, I can be a part of someone else's healing process, that's amazing. You'll never forget, you'll never forget the people in your life who were there to help you when you were physically hurting. You know that doctor or that relief, that medical person who came and began to take care of the wound or the hurting place. And you, you could be a part of someone's emotional healing in that way, just by offering your life, offering God to work through you. And you could be used in a big way to help someone else's healing process as well. Why don't you take these next few moments and just respond to God. If you would like to uh, be a part of someone's healing, or if you know you need healed today, you can write out a prayer. We'll pray for you. We'll pray with you this week. If you need someone to pray for you right now, Maybe today uh, Jenny's story or something else just impacted you and you need someone just to be the hands and feet of Jesus and just extend love to you today. And this, during this next song, you can head out the back and down the hallway to the left and our prayer team is there. Someone will sit down and listen to you and pray for you this morning. But let's take these next couple minutes, just respond to God, then we're going to sing a few songs and wrap up today.